following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Piper, traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. <laughs> Father, how are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you? Too bad, Father. Good. You've just had a long trip. Yes, Father. It's great to be back. A good trip, right? Yes, yes. I was at the, uh, the visiting. Uh, convent and seminary at the congregation of St. Pius V uh, in, in New York. So it's great to mm -hmm. see everyone up there. And, and uh, some, uh, we have new sisters, right? Yes. Good. Even from here? Yes. From Immaculate Conception. Well, I'm so glad you were there. You represent us all, right? That's fine. <laughs> you and, uh, and your noble wife and children right? all together. That's great. Great. Yep, we did our best there, Father. But uh, thank you for carrying the program last week. Um, I know that uh, to begin with, you had a couple of comments you wanted to make. We did get um, a very nice email that I just wanted to uh, mention in regards to the last program where a, a viewer said that uh, it was very great, absolutely wonderful teaching by Father Jenkins in the program. She said she felt like she was sitting in on a graduate level seminary class lecture, which could be understood by anyone. So I thought that was pretty impressive, Father. But um, well. you know, you, <coughs> You had a comment or two that you wanted to make on it as well? Uh, well, as a matter of fact, it's, it has to do with a comment that I did receive, uh, not through the emails, but uh, another way. Uh, someone uh, pointed out, a friend, a good, very good friend of theirs, uh, made the observation that the traditional Catholics have some very good points, but all of those good points are undermined by the fact that traditional Catholics do not uh, do not recognize any living authority on earth to interpret and to explain Catholic teaching. <clears throat> uh, which I thought was interesting because, uh, well, it's not true, <laughs> number one, but I, I think what they're talking about is that in practice, traditional Catholics do not recognize uh, Francis yeah. as being a, a, uh, a reliable, if not even authoritative, you know, uh, interpreter of Catholic teaching. But the odd thing is that the, the person who brought this to my attention has already told me that the person who made the comment doesn't really um, put much stock in Francis either. And so my question back to the, the questioner was, well, you find fault with traditional Catholics because we find fault with Francis and do not find that he is a reliable and uh, even in many cases, don't believe it's an authoritative uh, interpreter and representative of Catholic teaching. And I would ask that individual, well, do you consider Francis to be a reliable, authoritative representative of Catholic teaching? Do you actually consider that? And, and I understand that he, he actually doesn't consider them Francis. So my, my point would be, well, if you don't, you may consider Francis to be an authoritative, <clears throat> to have been in a position of authority 
to uh, represent and teach Catholic, explain Catholic teaching. But I think you've made it rather clear by what you've said that he certainly is not a reliable teacher of uh, Catholic uh, doctrine. So, what distinguishes you from any other, you know, any, anyone who say, says we cannot follow Francis and what he says, because he's not actually speaking as a as a Catholic teacher? So, I, I tend to think that the person who actually originated the question. Uh, is a lot closer to our understanding of things than he realizes. Because I, I really doubt that he would say, well, yes, I consider Francis to be a reliable and, uh, you know, tr true teacher of the Catholic faith. As it says in the Canon of the Mass, you know, that we remember all of those and we're in union and communion with all of those who are true teachers of the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I doubt that this individual actually considers Francis any more than you and I do to be a reliable teacher of the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought it was kind of a curious comeback, you know. But anyway, maybe we'll hear from them and find out. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and Father, that's definitely not an anomaly, an anomaly in the Novus Ordo where we see people who, uh, you know, will, will criticize us for not accepting the Pope, uh, so-called, but yet they mm -hmm. themselves, so many of them do not even follow the teachings of, of the Catholic Church. And I mean, I guess it makes perfect sense because that's, that's what we get with, with Francis himself in the hierarchy mm -hmm. where they... Uh, you know, kind of maintain this thing. Every every everything that the uh, that the Pope says is, is magisterial. You know, mm -hmm. in, infallible. We have to follow it. And yet, uh, the man himself doesn't even follow um, some of the things that he himself says, but definitely mm -hmm. doesn't follow Catholic uh, Catholic teaching. So I think we see that kind of uh, dissonance a lot. There, there, stuff. there certainly is uh, a disorder there. There's no doubt about it. In fact, uh, you know, if you, if you have a, a sea captain, I mean, recently we had St. Peter's boat on the Sea of Galilee tossed by the waves and contrary winds and all the rest, and our Lord walking by in the, in the, in the darkness of the night on the water, right? And uh, we talk about the bark of Peter, B-A-R-Q-U-E, the, the bark of Peter. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, if you had, uh, like, the, the actual ship of the church, represented by that bark of Peter, established by our Lord Jesus Christ, which we do, it's exactly who established the church, and he gave the church its destination, and he assigned to the church the course it must follow. <clears throat> but if you find that someone has now taken over the ship <clears throat> and has declared a different destination and changed the course, you would think that the ship had been pirated. You'd think that the ship had been hijacked, um, and it has been. Uh, in fact, um, uh, you know, if, if Francis, Francis can be considered like the, the pirate, uh, the pirate pope, you know, of the Novus Ordo, uh, wants to change the destination of the church, the purpose of its foundation and launching by our Lord, and change the course, the course of the ship, change, change its uh, itinerary, as it were, uh, to his own, his own liking, in a very worldly sense. In fact, one might even regard him and the modern hierarchy as shills of the new world order, because they're pushing all of the new world order agenda. Um, and uh, so, uh, anyway, the, the takes us a little bit uh, far afield here, but uh, I, I thought uh, that 
one comment that I got back was of interest because uh, um, it, it seems that there's a certain amount of confusion in people who say, well, the traditionalists have good points, but they, they still don't have a living voice to uh, guide them in the understanding of the Catholic faith. And then when you ask them, well, do you consider Francis to be a, a, an authentic guide uh, and, and teacher of the Catholic faith? They would say, well, no. And so you would ask them, well, well who, who is your living voice that you look to? Well, uh, the Pope. <clears throat> and, well, do you consider Francis the Pope? Well, yes, we do. Well, okay, but is he truly a reliable living voice of the Catholic faith, the teachings of the Catholic Church? Well, no. <clears throat> and you go around and around and around like that in kind of a, uh, a maelstrom, you know. And their thinking is... Um, they they have to somehow step outside uh, the 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 dust devil, you know, in order to get oriented. But they're very disoriented by this. And of course, Our Lady said that there would be a diabolical disorientation, and we see that happening in the minds of people. Yeah. Well, Father, speaking of disorientation <clears throat> and confusion, and Francis, a uh, couple of things that go together very well. <laughs> Um, there was uh, a recent, uh, maybe even yesterday, I think, an interview that Francis gave, I believe, on a, a Spanish uh, television network. And um, I think it was during that interview he made some comments about President Biden here in the United States and his support for abortion. And uh, Francis made the comment that uh, something to the effect that, that Biden's support for abortion is a matter for his own conscience. Uh, it's a matter that he needs to sort out with his pastor um, but also, I think in the same interview, he he uh, said, you know, clearly that uh, this this life, um, you know, the abortion is the taking of a human life. It's the I think he used the word elimination of a human life. He said before that it's like hiring a hitman. Um, so how does that? How do those two things make any sense, Father? Right here we have something he clearly says is murder, and yet he says that's a matter for his unconscious to decide, um, and and it's a matter that he needs to work out with his pastor. Um, how does that make any sense? Well, well, the only way it can possibly make sense is if Francis does not believe in the papacy, or at least does not believe that he is the Pope and has responsibility, right? I mean, I don't know how else you can make any sense of what he says. Um, he, he called uh, uh, Joseph Biden's position on abortion incoherence. Yeah. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> strange, he never uses the word sin doesn't use the word mortal sin, doesn't use the word soul and hell, damnation, or anything of the kind. No. <clears throat> so, in other words, uh, uh, Joseph Biden's position on abortion is incoherence. And I guess <clears throat> maybe he could say that to Nancy Pelosi, too, if he dared. But uh, LifeSide News has an interesting entry on that, on that. And, you know, they usually do have some pretty good, interesting information. And maybe I could read that a little bit. It's, it's datelined uh, Vatican City, um, July 12th, just yesterday, as you say. Uh, this is what the LifeSite News article says. Pope Francis has noted the, quote, incoherence of President Joe Biden's support for abortion as a Catholic, but said that he, quote, leaves it, end quote, to Biden's, quote, conscience, end quote, whether to receive Holy Communion or not. Speaking to the Spanish TV network Univision, in an interview segment released July 12th, the 85-year-old Pope condemned abortion, saying, 
that, quote, scientific data, end quote, show that a, quote, month after conception, the DNA of the fetus is already present and the organs are already aligned, end quote. Um, Now, um, you know, one could immediately take exception to that. Scientific data has shown that a month after conception, the DNA of the fetus is already present. But the DNA of the fetus is already, it's there at at conception. Otherwise, the child, I mean, it couldn't grow into a fetus, right? So, you know, to say that that happens within a month after conception, that the DNA becomes present, it's nonsense, you know? But anyway, he goes on to actually, again, uh, give us a little more nonsense. He says, quote, is it fair to eliminate a human life? Question mark, unquote, he asked. So again, it's a matter of fairness. What about sin, right? What about sin? What about mortal sin? The question is, is it fair to eliminate human life? That's a strange question. Just a strange way of putting it. Is it fair? I guess now it's, it's, everything depends on whether something is considered fair. You know? And there are people who would say, well, it is if that life is in my way and being unfair to me. Right? Is it fair that I have to carry this child to term and ruin my life? This child is ruining, ruining my life, and that's not fair. So it becomes a matter of fairness. It, it takes on a whole different, different you know, appearance here, yeah, at least in people's minds. Um, and it went, the article goes on to say he stated that he, quote, leaves it to Biden's conscience, <clears throat> saying, let him talk to his pastor about this incoherence. Well, you know who his pastor is. If he lives in Washington, D.C., right? Resident Biden resides in Washington, D.C. So who's his pastor? Uh, well, the supreme pastor is Francis. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you supposedly, yeah, supposedly so. But his his uh, local pastor there in Washington, D.C. is fine with giving him the wafer. Yeah. And no problem. He's already talked to him. Um, and uh, so Biden is supposed to consult his, his conscience and his Novus Ordo pastor, who's Wilton, right? Uh, and... Uh, and uh, neither one of them is going to tell him he's wrong. I mean, it's, it's, it's an, again, a nonsense statement because if his pastor would tell him it's wrong, if his conscience would tell him he's wrong, and he's going to do it anyway, then why consult them, right? And if they, they ha- he hasn't consulted his conscience or his pastor, <clears throat> the, the, whole, the whole thing is complete nonsense going to leave it to Biden's conscience. His conscience tells him, as, as Joe Biden says, abortion is the right thing to do. I mean, it is. He's on the, on the, on the side of the angels here, as far as he's concerned. Of course, we know he's on the side of the, of the, of the fallen angels. We know that. But, you know, he considers them to be his allies. So, you know, Francis's statements are just one big smokescreen from beginning to end. And the article uh, continues, Catholic U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi regularly receives the Eucharist but was recently barred from Holy Communion by her local bishop, Archbishop Salvatore Corleone of San Francisco. Despite this, Pelosi continued to receive Holy Communion at public masses since Corleone's, Corleone's declaration, including notably at a papal mass on June 29th. 
when asked about this particular instance by which he defied Cortelione, the pontiff repeated one of his now familiar phrases, saying, when a pastor loses the pastoral dimension, he, he creates a political problem. Again, that's, that's a very uh, interesting statement of Francis. When a pastor loses the pastoral dimension, what is that? Uh, is it, we're talking about dimension? Are we talking about dementia here? Or what are we talking about? The pastoral dimension, he creates a political problem. And if we were to understand by that pastoral dimension, is that when a, pa when a pastor ceases to act as a pastor, he creates a political problem. But actually the opposite, the exact opposite is the truth. <clears throat> the pastor creates a political problem when he ceases to act as a pastor. So all anybody's been looking or hoping for from Francis all this time is to act as a pastor, and he can't do it. He's incapable of it. Um, because he, uh, he actually considers any political problem to be somehow anti-pastoral. That's why he's completely political. He's, he's a, an absolutely, totally politicized pontiff of the Novus Ordo. Absolutely in the back pocket of the New World Order. And, uh, and its entire program from beginning to end. He's totally on board, and that's what he, that's what he speaks continually. Um, so, I mean, you look back and you look at the pontiffs who stood up before the world to condemn evil, <clears throat> and uh, they were acting as true pastors, right? And never Francis. Uh, the only people he will actually attack are the traditional Catholics and the Restorationists, as he calls them. Mm -hmm. And that for holding fast to the faith of the Council of Trent. He faults them on that. That's the only fault he finds, it seems, anymore. So his statement uh, is, is not only not true, it is the exact opposite of the truth. And he goes on and he, he says, when the church, and again, he repeated this later on, when the church loses its pastoral nature, how can the church lose its pastoral nature? <clears throat> well, under Francis, it will, it must. Uh, the Novus Ordo, modernism, certainly loses its pastoral nature, but the Catholic Church cannot. So again, you wonder, how can he even say these things? When the Church loses its pastoral nature? When a bishop loses his pastoral nature, it causes a political problem. That's all I can say. Well, okay, because that's all he can say, and it's absolutely not only not true. The true Catholic Church cannot lose its pastoral nature. Um... And uh, when, a, when a bishop fails to act as a pastor is when he causes political problems. By the way, it's, it's important to note here, I think, that this is totally in line with Vatican II. <clears throat> what he's saying here is completely in line with Vatican II. The last great document of Vatican II, uh, Dignitatis um, Humanae Personae, the document on uh, religious liberty, <clears throat> Uh, was hailed as talking about the, the, uh, the preeminence of religious liberty, right? No one could be constrained to uh, practice a religion that he doesn't believe in. <clears throat> it also went to the extent of saying no one can be strained, restrained from practicing, practicing his own religion. 
But one, one exception, five times in that document, uh, the council said that the, it, it, and this is the only restraint it, it placed upon religious expression or exercise in a society, is when the public authority, that's the government, finds it necessary to restrain or restrict uh, practice of faith for public order. Exactly what St. Pius X said, the modernists demand that the church be subject to the civil authority. So only when public order is involved, and the, who's going to decide that? The government. <clears throat> Can the government, as the sole authority acknowledged in, um, in Vatican II, in the document of religious liberty, has the power to stifle, restrain, constrain religious practice. And we just saw that with the COVID business, right? We saw exactly that as Francis actually voluntarily shut down the churches throughout the world, the Nova Serra churches, even before the government stepped yeah. in to say, do that. <clears throat> um, so this is setting up, uh, this is already setting the table for tyranny right here. And uh, giving the government, actually, governments of the world the power to um, basically strangle practice, all religious practice, including true Catholicism. Um, it's uh, finally, I'll, I'll come to the end of this, I'm just taking little excerpts now. Joe Biden himself told reporters last year in Rome that in a private meeting, Francis told him to keep receiving communion, despite the politicians' continued staunchly pro-abortion stance and support for LGBT ideology. Now, by the way, since Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, uh, Biden is ready to declare a health emergency to support abortion nationwide. Uh, he has come out and said that the Supreme Court is out of control. I guess that means out of his control. And of course, that's the point, isn't it? That's why our government was set up the way it was, so that the presidency would not, or even the residency, would not control the Supreme Court. So he's upset that he, the Supreme Court is out of control of him, of Congress, of the Democrats. That's what he's upset about. So he wants to change that, as a true tyrant would. <clears throat> but uh, in any case, the, uh, the fact that he says that Francis told him to continue receiving. Even now, uh, Biden wants to put in place a nationwide, basically legal, mandate, right, to be enforced by the DOJ, the Department of Justice, uh, throughout the entire nation, uh, recognizing the right to abortion until the birth, until the birth of the child. That's what this man wants. And Francis tells him, go ahead, receive. It's okay. Follow your conscience. It's interesting in the article, they put Biden's conscience in quotation marks. I think it's true. Um... <clears throat> So, uh, and, and again, the article in LifeSite News says, only a few days ago, the Vatican announced that it would join the pro-abortion Paris Climate Agreement, an agreement of which Francis has long been a supporter. Pro-abortion, worldwide, right, right to an abortion. So uh, Francis, in fact, has uh, glorified abortionists since he got in. We shouldn't be surprised to recall, though, that one of the first thing he said uh, when he was hailed as the 
<clears throat> successor of Benedict XVI, is that the, the Catholic people have to stop obsessing about birth control and abortion and euthanasia. We have to stop obsessing about these things. <clears throat> so when uh, the Roe versus Wade decision was overturned, uh, Francis was very slow to even acknowledge it. And when he did acknowledge it, he parsed his words very carefully. <clears throat> this is what we're dealing with now. Okay. So um, in any case, Tom, it's, it's not good. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you're right. I mean, this is a great, great scandal that uh, Francis, uh, Francis' words about Joe Biden, I think, should be enough to tip anybody off that this man is not a teacher of the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. Father, how should those in the Novus Ordo feel who, um, you know, might still have the faith, might still uh, care about things like morality and, and God's law, and, um, you know, they, they are excited about this, the, the Roe v. Wade case being overturned. Um, they're, they're, you know, they see the, the progress that the pro-life class has made, and now they're looking to their supposed pastor um, you know, to kind of keep keep this keep this going and uh, and and guide guide them in this, and they just are getting this. Um, you know, if if any comments on abortion, then they're um, at least implicitly in, in favor of it. Um, how should someone in the Nova sort of feel who's of good faith and wants to see the pro life cause through, and yet they they see Francis Francis as their as their leader? How should they feel right now? Well, they would have to. Uh, how should they feel right now? What their feelings should be. Their feelings should be feelings of betrayal. They should feel absolutely betrayed. And then they should realize that he's not on their side and uh, that he's actually um, trying to deceive by pretending to be pro-life, but every action he takes actually favors abortion and uh, glorifies abortionists. And basically, you know the, the expression on the, uh, on the dollar bill? Anuit Chetus, um, with the all-seeing eye, mm -hmm. you know, for the pyramid. Anuit Chetus, he kind of winks approval, and that's what he does. Even if he doesn't come out and state, look, I'm pro-abortion, and I, I, I glorify uh, pro-abortionists, in fact, that's what he's doing. He glorifies them. He's had them come to the Vatican. He's held them up as prime examples of great statesmen and, and leaders in society, He's direct decorated them with medals, Vatican medals, the church. He's decorated the pro-abortionists. <clears throat> and, um, and basically, he's done everything he can to suppress the pro-life cause within even the Novus Ordo. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the pro-life institute that they've got, he's completely gutted that. So, you know, people have to look at the actions of this man and realize he's not, he is an enemy of the Catholic faith. He's not a friend. He's an enemy of the true pro-life cause. When I say true life, pro-life cause, because the true pro-life cause is not just about the life in this world. It's about saving souls for the next. It's about everlasting life. Francis is an inveterate enemy, and basically an avowed enemy of both. Well, Father, something else we wanted to mention. Uh, I think this just came out today that um, Francis had apparently appointed three women to the dicastery for bishops. And I know this was, um, had a lot of people very very excited. There's been a lot of talk lately about uh, the, the role that women can play in the, in the church, in the hierarchy of the church, and so this was, uh, many view this as a, as a big big step forward. Um, and, and well, it is. He's putting them in leadership positions in the church. They've been reserved for bishops. Yeah. I mean, the dicastery for bishops, they should change the name of it now. The dicastery for bishops and women. 
I mean, that's what he's done. He's undermined everything. All, the, all true Catholic institutions, uh, he's undermining uh, continually. And it would be very interesting to interview those women he appointed and ask them, well, what is your position on abortion? What would you guess? These three women he appointed to the dicastery for bishops in his Novosoto church. What do you think their position would be in abortion? Do you think they'd come out strongly against it? Strong, strongly, unequivocally pro-life? In the true sense of the word? Uh, well, if they're Francis Catholics, then no, of course not. Would you be surprised to find out if they were true pro-lifers? Would you be surprised to find out that they actually um, saw that abortion could be justified and there was some value to it? No. So this, these are Francis appointees, and all of Francis' appointees are on board with two things, right? To soft-pedal the abortion and to promote the LGBTQ, etc., it's the IA plus agenda. All of Francis' appointees are, are totally on board with this. If you want to call it woke, uh, the woke agenda, they're all there. That's the, that's the absolute uh, baseline for judgment of Francis, that they have to be on board with that agenda. Because that's his agenda. So anyway, I, I mean, you know, there are people who will, will find it, um, they'll say, well, you shouldn't be talking that way about it, Francis. It's not respect, respectful or whatever. And I would say, well, what do you, where do you think the disrespect really is in talking about the fact that this is true or the fact that it is true and he's doing these things? I mean, isn't that the real problem? Why actually would you object to somebody stating the truth unless the truth itself was damning, you know, was, was truly uh, very, very bad. And that in this case, the truth really is bad. And it's actually not only bad, it's much worse than, than people realize. Um, but that will all be coming out in the years ahead. They'll discover at some point that they have been um, they're looking, looking in, in, in the direction for salvation from uh, one who has no intention whatsoever of sa helping them save their souls, mm -hmm. who does not have the Catholic faith, certainly doesn't teach it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what should they do? How should they feel? They should feel um, a certain, um, I would say, righteous indignation, as our Lord did, uh, to those who would insult his almighty God the Father, and they should say, look, I am going to go to the traditional Catholic uh, Mass. I'm going to practice the traditional Catholic faith. I'm not going to uh, be on this, uh, this woke bandwagon of Francis. <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not going to be on the pirate ship of, ship of Francis. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but I'm going to, going to actually uh, hold fast to the traditional Catholic faith because I know that's the truth. Yep. I'm going to practice that. Okay. Well, uh, well, Father, something else we wanted to comment on. Some of our, our viewers, I know, wanted your perspective on, on what's, um, what's currently going on with our economy right now, specifically in regards to inflation. That's, um, as you said, something that definitely touches everyone. Um, but it's definitely getting, getting worse, uh, it seems. And then I, uh, just the other day, there was, there was a news of, uh, of, I think, 21 more states have, have approved uh, more <coughs> stimulus payments that are going out. And um, so it seems the inflation... 
um, is only going to continue getting worse. And um, there's all kinds of, of, of talk about this going on right now. But as you said, inflation definitely affects everyone right now. So some of our viewers want to enjoy perspective on, on that and what's going on. Well, uh, a report just came out that uh, inflation has been at 9%, which is horrible. You know, <clears throat> I mean, figure that, uh, I mean, take your income, reduce it by, by 10% immediately, because you're spending 10% more for everything, basically. <clears throat> and actually more than 10% uh, more for many things, actually some staples of life. So um, you have just been robbed. Yeah, that's what inflation does. Inflation robs people of their livelihood. St. Thomas Aquinas talked about the damage done by, um, by counterfeiting. He said that counterfeiters, with good reason, should be executed. They should be put to death. It sounds extreme today, I suppose. <clears throat> but St. Thomas explained the reason why counterfeiters should be put to death <clears throat> is because they steal from everyone in the society at once. Because by putting, uh, by flooding the false currency into the, uh, into the system, they are devaluing the value of all the currency. <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's well known. I mean, everyone, everyone knows that and understands that now. That when you flood the, the society with, with money, uh, like a fiat currency, which is what basically uh, uh, counterfeiting is, <clears throat> then um, you're actually devaluing the value of all the coinage in, in, in the society. And so you're, you're um, debasing the currency. And everybody is losing value, buying power with the money that he's earned. So St. Thomas was very definite about that. And, you know, the church has always understood that. Now, St. Thomas lived in the 1200s, as you know. <clears throat> but, um, again, you know, you look through the history of the church and you find that it, it was very well known uh, how damaging it was to debase the currency. Uh, you've, heard of, you've heard of Copernicus, right? And you've heard of Nicholas Copernicus. He's, he's famous for the heliocentric... Um, theory, you know, as it were. And uh, he was a Polish canon, a priest. <clears throat> and he wrote uh, very interestingly, way back, you know, we're talking about, um, we're talking about bef before Galileo, right? We're talking about the four centuries, uh, even before uh, a man like John Maynard Keynes came into the world. Uh, Copernicus made this point. This is what he said in his 1525 work on the minting of money. So he wasn't just an astronomer. He wasn't just a mathematician. He actually applied his thought to economic theory. And this is what Copernicus said. He said, although there are countless maladies that are forever causing the decline of kingdoms, princedoms, and republics, the following four, in my judgment, are the most serious, and then he lists four maladies. Civil discord, a high death rate, sterility of the soil, and the debasement of coinage. He goes on to say this, he says the first three, civil discord, a high death rate, sterility of the soil, so you can't grow food, right, are so obvious that everybody recognizes the damage they cause. But the fourth one, 
which has to do with money, is noticed by only a few very thoughtful people, since it does not operate all at once at a single blow, but gradually overthrows governments and in a hidden, insidious way. Interesting statement by uh, Nicholas Copernicus made in 1525 already on the minting of money. It appears that uh, others who became involved in economic theory uh, paid some attention to this also, Copernicus, because we hear what Copernicus uh, said echoed by others who came after him. Um, you, you probably heard of Ludwig von Mises, right? And uh, the Austrian economic school. Well, the, there was a, like an arch nemesis in John Maynard Keynes. As Ludwig von Mises was talking about the need for the free market and to allow liberty um, in human transactions, especially financial economic transactions. Whereas John Maynard Keynes was touting the necessity of government managing the economy, right? And these two uh, basically went through the world. Well, actually, they were born not the same year, but very close to each other. Von Mises was born in 1881, and Keynes was born in 1883, so within a couple of years of each other. Uh, Keynes died first. He died in 1946. But Von Mises survived until 1973. Uh, Keynes died in his early 60s, and von Mises died in his early 90s. <clears throat> but uh, the, the two uh, outlooks on the economy were like polar opposites between the liberty and, on the one hand, of von Mises and the government control um, of, of John Maynard Keynes. It's interesting to see the contrast between these two men. We know that John Maynard Keynes... Um, He even said he was carrying off a revolution. He saw himself as authoring a kind of economic revolution for the future. And we see what's happened now. Government control, uh, a la socialism, communism, and I mean Marxism, certainly. All of this uh, goes hand in hand. And it has created just havoc and and ruined millions and millions of lives. Um, But Keynes... Uh, interestingly enough, John Maynard Keynes quoted um, the thought of Lenin and uh, may well have quoted the thought of uh, Copernicus, too. I have a, an article here by Ralph Benko, um, who is with the, uh, as he calls it, um, the laissez-faire, well, laissez-faire books, but also he is um, uh, a founder with a, a, another gentleman, actually. It looks like it would be interesting. Charles Cadillac. And uh, they are actually of the Phonesis school, I believe. And I uh, believe in, you know, liberty. This is, by the way, um, found, it's a Forbes. It's on the Forbes website. I thought it was very interesting that uh, Forbes is making this available. But this, this article came out on December 23rd in the year 2013 by Ralph Benko, and I thought it was very interesting <clears throat> because he's, he's talking about Keynes and Copernicus, especially with regard to the idea that the debasement of the money supply overthrows the social order 
and overthrows governments. This is what uh, Keynes wrote in The Economic Consequences of Peace in 1919. Lenin is said to have declared that the best way to destroy the capitalist system was to debauch the currency. By a continuing process of inflation, governments can confiscate secretly and unobserved an important part of the wealth of their citizens. By this method, they not only confiscate, but they confiscate arbitrarily. And while the process impoverishes many, it actually enriches some. Now, as I'm reading this, think about what we've witnessed here with the aggrandizement of the billionaires and how they've added billions and billions to their portfolios while the common people are being robbed, okay? Think of what St. Thomas Aquinas said about this. Think about what Copernicus said. I, I thought that was so interesting, he said, is the best way to destroy the capitalist system was to debauch the currency, and that is by inflation. Governments confiscate the wealth of the nation, assembly, and they enrich some. The sight of this arbitrary rearrangement of riches strikes not only at security, but at confidence in the equity of the existing distribution of wealth. Those to whom the system brings windfalls beyond their deserts and even beyond their expectations or desires become profiteers who are the object of the hatred of the bourgeoisie, whom the inflationism has impoverished, not less than of the proletariat. As the inflation proceeds, and the real value of the currency fluctuates wildly from month to month. All permanent relations between debtors and creditors, which form the ultimate foundation of capitalism, become so utterly disordered as to be almost meaningless, and the process of wealth-getting degenerates into a gamble and a lottery. Lenin was certainly right, John Maynard Keynes, says, Leonard was certainly right. There is no subtler, no surer means of overturning the existing basis of society, capitalism, than to debauch the currency. The process engages all the hidden forces of economic law on the side of destruction and does it in a manner which not one man in a million is able to diagnose. I mean, we hear the voice of Nicholas Copernicus echoed here in the words of John Maynard Keynes, who's actually citing Lenin, right? Uh, to bring down the capitalist system. So there's uh, much more that could be said about this, and I know you I'm, I'm, I know I'm capable of saying it here, but I, I recommend this article to those who are interested. Uh, now, you know, Keynes refer to that old relic of the, the gold standard. Because when you have a gold standard, you have a fixed value of money in circulation. And he didn't want that. He didn't want that fixed value. He wanted government to manipulate these things. And so uh, Keynes was absolutely opposed to the gold standard. <clears throat> and yet Copernicus, and someone who is an admirer of Copernicus, Isaac Newton, were absolutely in favor of the gold standard. 
They understood back then the necessity of having a, a stable currency. Uh, you know, you, you know that Newton was a scientist, right? You think about him napping, dozing under the apple tree and getting hit in the head uh, by the falling apple and discovering gravity. <laughs> That's the way they simplistically uh, propose it. But Newton was also the master of the mint of Great Britain. And he was quite an economist. Uh, he was the, the architect of the modern classical gold standard as being um, the, well, actually following the Copernican principle of having a correlation between the possession of gold and the value of money. In the, because there is no intrinsic value of money, okay? Uh, but gold has a certain intrinsic value to it. So in order to have anything other than a fiat currency that just mysteriously appears by the millions and billions and trillions, uh, you have to have some kind of a, something with intrinsic value that it is tied to. And according to this author, Benko, he says it served the world very well for almost 200 years until through Keynes' influence, it was done away with. So uh, it's, it's uh, now, you know, Keynes said he was a great admirer of Newton, but Newton actually was absolutely, uh, you know, the, the, you might say kind of a quote-unquote apostle, apostle of the gold standard, which is uh, quite the opposite of what Keynes himself stood for. Um... There's, there's more to be read here, but I'm not going to read this. But it all basically talks about the terrible danger we're in now. This was written in 2013. And he, he's actually forecasting what we're living through right now. The debauching of the currency. And uh, basically the enrichment, the, the ridiculous, the, the, the obscene enrichment of the few at the expense of the vast majority of the people living in a society who are left to scramble. And he says it's not only uh, the, the proletariat, the worker, but even the bourgeoisie, the owners, e even, even the middle class itself, who are workers and owners, they are scrambling to survive. It's as though a flood has occurred and everyone is just swimming for his life right now. Well, you have the billionaires there, um, in a sense, mocking us and saying, we are going to... Uh, uh, be your new gods, and you will live or die, uh, depending on whether we are willing to, you know, give you what you need to survive. Uh, this is the thinking of Soros, thinking of Gates, and the rest of them. They made it very clear. So that's what we're dealing with right now. And uh, you know, anybody who uh, is concerned about this has to realize that this is being done on purpose. It's not an accident. Okay, it's it's all being orchestrated. But the real danger to us, unfortunately, is not the debauching of the currency. The debasement of the currency is symptomatic of a, another debasement, and that is the debasement of the culture. It's the debasement of the culture that is the real deadly debauchery that's going on here. They have debased the, well, I'll call it the Christian Catholic culture. They've debased it. And you see it everywhere you look. I mean, abortion was a prime, prime mover in this. A prime blow in debauching the idea of the value of the human life. The debauching of the entire society. 
Our culture has been debased by these people who brought this in. And we're told that we're imposing our religion by telling people they do not have a right from God or in the Constitution of the United States of America, or even as Pennsylvania just did, in the state constitution. You do not have a right to murder your baby, because that's what it is. And they say, you're imposing your religion on us. The history of mankind talks about the evil of these things, right? And, uh, but, but why do they say that? Why are they saying that you're imposing your religion on us, as big a lie as that is? I mean, you could say that about anything. You'd say, it's not right to, to kill the elderly. You're, opposing, you're, you're imposing your religion on us. It's not right to, to murder the sick, to kill the weak. But that's your religion. That's not my religion. You're imposing your religion on us. You can say that about anything. On the other hand, they could say, well, but you're, you're keeping animals in zoos. You're taking away their rights. And we say, what? That's, that's crazy. I mean, the animals do not have the rights of persons. And, and then, you know, we would say to them, well, you're imposing your religion on us because you're pagans and this is how you think. But it doesn't count then, you know, it never counts that way. It only counts the other way. Anything that would restrain them um, in their murderous rampage is wrong as far as they're concerned. But uh, in any case, now, well, that's, that's the real revolution we're facing here. They could have never debauched the currency or debased the currency, and they could never have gotten away with it, but for the fact that the moral debauchery had set in, which brings with it the debasement of Christian culture. Uh, and that's what we have to fight for now. We, have to, we, we can fight all we want about, you know, we have to resist the uh, debasement of the currency because it is, a, it is a moral evil to steal from people, and that's exactly what it is. I mean, even, Kate, even Lenin pointed that out, right? Uh, and he was in favor of it. Um, but um, we, we have to realize that all of the other defenses we have against this debasement depend upon our restoration of Christian culture, which depends utterly on true Christian worship, which we find in the true holy sacrifice of the Mass going back to the earliest centuries of the church, going back to the apostles themselves. So uh, we, need to, we need to fight for that. And uh, that's what the traditional Catholic faith is all about. That's why we all have to return there, find our moorings there, our anchor there, hold fast to the traditional Catholic faith and practice it in its integrity. Um, anyway, um, I thought that the, the question of the debasement of the currency was a very relevant question today. And people need to see what's happening to them when they go to put gas in their car or go to buy food or um, even formula to feed their babies. They have to understand uh, why this is happening and realize this is being done to me. Um, it, it's by And using principles that were very well known going back beyond the time of St. Thomas Aquinas. Read the history of the Roman Empire, and what you find is that the greatest turmoil in the empire surrounded the debasement of the currency in the Roman Empire. And the steps that emperors, certainly no, no saints by any means, but very, very worldly wise men who worshipped mammon, took to try to prevent the currency from being debased. We're talking about the days of the Roman Empire. So. These are principles that are very well known.
Um, it's about time that those who, who did not know them learned them. Because in the, in the in former times, former generations learned these principles. They knew them. But our poor victim children, well, their minds, unfortunately, have been debased, too, by the lack of education that they've gotten. And so this renders them helpless and um, without any understanding as to what is happening. Mm-hmm. Well, we have, to, we have to inform them, you know, yeah. those who will listen. So we've got to witness to our, not only our American values, but we've got to realize where American values unto themselves are not enough, you know, that they, um, uh, quite the contrary, we need our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our only Savior. Uh, he is our Lord. He is the Son of God. And there and there alone can we find salvation. There and there alone can we find salvation in the next life. And there and there alone in the kingship of Christ can we find any hope for peace, order, tra- justice, tranquility in this life, the tranquility of nations. So, anyway, I'm turning the floor back over to you after <laughs> that long dissertation. There. Well, anything else you'd like to add, Father, before we close tonight? Well, I, I ask that everyone pray for our nation. You know, we, we have the uh, uh, rosary uh, before the courthouse, Hamilton County Courthouse here, on the first Sunday of every month, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And this month we had uh, the first and second Sundays of the month. We need to uh, thank Almighty God for the blessings He's given to us. We need to appreciate those. We need to use those blessings well in the service of God to honor Him and glorify Him. We also need to make reparation for the sins of mankind. Um, We need to recognize that we have an obligation not only to adore our God and to honor Him, but we need to actually apologize and make reparation for the times that He is not honored and is not adored and not recognized. Uh, We need to be um, uh, not only contrite for our sins, we need to be very grateful to our Lord. And we need to use the opportunities He still gives us in order to to stand up for what we know is the right thing to do. And we still do have those liberties now. A great deal of range of liberty of action. I mean, you see what has happened in communist Cuba, you see what is happening in Canada right now, before our very eyes. You see what's happened in communist China. You see what happened in the Soviet Union. Oh, the stranglehold came over everything, and every the, the whole idea of free speech, speech completely disappeared, right? Uh, that is evaporating before our very eyes here. But it hasn't evaporated yet. We still have the opportunity to speak out. And if we don't, we deserve. What, what good does it do you to be able to speak out, and you don't because you're afraid? You've already abandoned the right of free speech. You've already given it up. You've freely given it away. So we have to use that right now, and we have to stand up and uh, speak boldly of our faith and our hope and our love for our Lord Jesus Christ, for our true Catholic faith, and hold fast to it, absolutely. Amen. Father, thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate your time. Certainly, Tom. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, You must be very weary from your trip. I appreciate your... Uh, coming and, uh, and you know, rejoining us here. I understand that people recognized you. <clears throat> Is that right? That's true, Father. Yes. They recognize you even in supermarkets now, right? <laughs> Sometimes, Father. You're a celebrity <laughs> in your own right. <laughs> so, yes. Well, I, that's, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad when they do recognize you and your characteristic humility, you edify them. <laughs> Let's hope so, Father. <laughs>
I'm sure it's true. Yes. Well, Father, but I appreciate your service here and your help. Yes, Father, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.